Facing Cancer Empowered with Dr. Paul S. Anderson, the author of Cancer, The Journey from Diagnosis to Empowerment. On episode number 148 of the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. The key to empowerment and better outcomes was not, did you have control over what your doctor did or, or uh, what hospital you went to or, you know, all the logistics of your cancer life. The key was, did you feel that you had self-determination around that and you were in charge of your life regardless of what circumstances came Hi, I'm Lisa David Olson. You can find me on Facebook. I'm an author and a speaker, and I am thrilled to know Dr. Brad Miller. And I'm so happy I could be a guest on the Beyond Adversity podcast. Thanks for making a difference, Dr. Brad. Hello, good people. Welcome to Beyond Adversity with Dr. Brad Miller. This is the podcast. We're looking to help you, everybody. We're looking to help you face any adversity you have in your life, like depression or divorce or debt, or death in the family, or disease, a disease such as cancer. We look to help you to overcome, to navigate these adverse life conditions, and to emerge to a life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. You can always head over to our website, drbradmiller.com. You could find lots of great stories, lots of great insights, lots of great instructions from authors and leaders and teachers and people with a heart and a great story to help you to face any adversity and to come through at a better place. We also have a free gift for you there at drbradmiller.com. We have a great doctor with us on our podcast here today, and he's going to help us with a fact of life that so many of us deal with. And that fact is embodied with one terrifying word, cancer. Cancer is one of the greatest adversities of the disease in general and cancer in particular that virtually everyone has to deal with at one time or another. In my family, both my own father and my wife's uh, father, uh, both, uh, we lost them to, to cancer. As a pastor of a church for over 40 years, I've seen so many cases where cancer has devastated a person or a family. But here's what I've learned, is that your attitude and your approach to cancer and other diseases makes all the difference in the world. How you face the diagnosis of cancer and work a process and come out to a better place if you choose to. It's all about choices. That's the message our our doctor, Dr. Paul S. Anderson, brings us today. It's about a journey. It's about a process. And he has a book. He's going to talk to us about uh, today. It's called Cancer, the Journey from Diagnosis to Empowerment. Dr. Anderson is a recognized educator and clinician in integrative and naturopathic medicine with a focus on complex, infectious, chronic, and oncologic diseases. He founded the Advanced Medical Therapies in Seattle, Washington, which is a clinic focusing on cancer and chronic diseases and he works collaboratively with clinics and hospitals across the United States and other countries. He has worked 
as a co-author on Outside-the-Box Cancer Therapies with Dr. Mark Stegler. He worked with uh, Jack Canville on his book, Success Breakthroughs, and he's coming to us today to talk about cancer in particular and about how you can make choices to be empowered. We had a great conversation about lots of things here today, about some of the technical and medical things, but also about attitude and about process and about emotion and about family dynamics and about uh, how the choices we make uh, make all the difference and how you can choose to face this disease and be defeated by it, or you can choose to be work a process of empowerment. You're going to love this conversation here today, particularly if you have faced cancer yourself or have a loved one who has or know of situations where you've been impacted by some other uh, dreaded disease. This podcast is going to be per- particularly pertinent to you, and I invite you to pass it along to other people. You can connect with Dr. Anderson at his website, consultdranderson.com. Our guest today on Beyond Adversity, Dr. Paul S. Anderson. Let's get into that conversation right now. We welcome to Beyond Adversity, Dr. Paul Anderson. Welcome, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. It is awesome to have you here uh, today on our podcast where we're looking to deal with matters that get people stuck in life. And one of the things that will stop people in their tracks is when they hear the words, you've got cancer. And I got a feeling that you've either uh, experienced some um, adversity in either in your own life or certainly have seen that when you've had to uh, be with people in those positions. But I'd like to first start with your story about uh, maybe some some adversity or some pivoting points that you've had. What got you to the place where you found you just had to zero in on cancer and zero in on this topic for this this book? What were some turning points for you? Let me tell me about, a little bit about your story. Yeah, you know, um, it's it, it's it's a rather protracted uh, lead up to this particular book, but the the high points really are um, early in in my practice and career. I was uh, doing very uh, general family practice for for the most part, and because I did uh, a lot of uh, at the time a lot of integrative therapies that were uh, around healing and. Uh, helping people with nutrients and other things, I started to have a lot of cancer patients seek my help for healing after chemotherapy or uh, recovering after surgery and any number of things. That was a long, long time ago. And what I found was, uh, because there was really almost nobody doing it, certainly in my area, um, I started to just gather a lot of families who had cancer in the family and so one of the early points, if we go back 20 or 25 years, was really this mass of uh, the grief that goes around uh, dealing with people, you know, family units that are dealing with cancer, because it is, you know, with very, very rare exceptions, nobody wants to get a diagnosis of cancer, as you said. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the last thing any of us want. So when you're working with that interpersonally, that's a uh, that's a heavy load to take on. And so really the first kind of turning point, the first uh, uh, wake up call really was how do I deal with that personally? How do you know, how do I 
uh, not just maintain space, you know, with a patient, et cetera, but uh, you're involved with the, the cancer patient, their family members, their health, everything. H- how do you keep a good perspective on that and yet still have a caring, healing relationship? So that was really a, a critical point a long time ago. Um, and if you fast forward to about, uh, I believe it's about 10 years ago, you mentioned the National Institute of Health study. I was part of a very large group, but I ran one area that was an interventional area, meaning we did things to patients. Um, and one of the things that a five-year study does is it gives you time to look backwards. So when it was all done and we start writing things up that we found and what worked, what didn't work, the other thing you start doing is thinking about, well, what's, what do people have in common who did better or worse beyond, beyond medicine? You know, what, are there things that really affected them? So um, the, the first book uh, that was written called Outside the Box Cancer Therapies was more a, uh, a chronicle of the study and the years before that, the, the, the NIH work, uh, the what, what I call sort of the externalized journey, what are you doing with your cancer? And in the years after that, and the book came out, the next real kind of critical turning point was I was doing a lot more mentoring of other doctors who were dealing with cancer patients. And I started to see there was, and this is not something I just realized, but I started to see one of the things that it, people have in common with better quality of life and often better outcome with treatment and length of life is that they have done something to move from the horrifying diagnosis of cancer to being an empowered uh, person around their cancer diagnosis as opposed to, say, a mm-hmm. victim. And so that's really what led to sitting down and saying, okay, let's look back over 30 years and, uh, you know, categorize how did patients get from point A to point B in a better way or a worse way? And, and how could, you know, a book help people go through those steps? And as you've mentioned, it's very much about uh, the person who has cancer, but also those that love them and care for them, because we all go through the same thing. If, you know, if I'm your friend and you develop cancer and I want to be a supporter, I go through very similar grieving process and all of that. So really that's what led to the book was, is there a way to make this uh, an unfortunate but necessary process a little more doable, a little more graspable by the patient? So it's not like you found these transition points, both with your patients and possibly with yourself and the other cancer doctors you were working with as well. There was different levels of investment and so on with their, their patients and transformations that they had to go through. You mentioned about how different people react differently when they get that diagnosis and some people respond uh, in a more healthy manner and therefore have a better prognosis. Let's talk about that for a second. Uh, what are some what are some of the things that people do? What are some of the actions that people that you've observed have taken that both on the negative side where they didn't do anything and both and then on the positive side where some some good things happened? Tell us about how some people reacted to that news. Yeah, well, and that's you know stories are probably the best way to to put flesh to things, and that is one thing we did in the book is I have a story of two patients who were as far apart as you could be with this journey, uh, to kind of give it some give it some uh, uh, 
flesh uh, to, to it. But what I've seen, and I always tell people, and we may make this point in the book too, that of course, we all get to choose our own way of dealing with things. And if somebody wants to do to stay stuck and angry, that's their choice. But um, what I see as far as better for your outcomes are everybody starts out in the same place. Now, because we're all individuals and what I often, uh, is people won't think about it maybe this way, but the first thing that happens when you hear a bad diagnosis, especially cancer diagnosis, is it connects with the parts of your brain involved in fight or flight. And those connect with memories of bad things that have gone on. Now, if one of those bad things or a group of those bad things had to do with people being very sick or dying of cancer, having, you know, some people have lived through this with family members and it's been horrific, you know. We all know people have had pretty devastating episodes and multiple people, their families. And it, it can take you there immediately. You don't even know you're going there. You just feel this overwhelming you know, grief and anger. So some people, it that turns into anger. Some people, it turns into denial. Some people get extremely depressed. And then there's, you know, every other manifestation, but those are the big ones. So the important part in how I start the book is that you, first you need to know that's not abnormal. That's how we're wired as human beings. The tr- trick then about it is, um, the people who, in my judgment, uh, do this in the most negative way that doesn't turn out well, they stay there and kind of marinate in those you know, negative feelings and emotions. And there's actually a feedback between the fight or flight system of the nervous system and the, you know, the dark memories and all, all of the stuff. And they are sort of, to a degree, self-soothed by their anger or their depression mm-hmm. or whatever. The problem is, is that then they stay in the role of a victim and yes. the cancer's happening to them. They have nothing to do with it. They may go to the doctor. The doctor may do things for them, maybe friends that try and help them. But they're very stuck and they actually don't ever progress. My experience has been if if you follow that pathway, which is your choice. But if you follow that pathway, your quality of life is horrible. It's a very passive uh, life resignation approach. I call that the malaise of mediocrity or the malaise of misery where people just choose to be stuck in that. Yeah. And, and, and that's, um, it's, that's an excellent descriptor malaise uh, because it's, yes, it's comfortable to do that. And it makes us feel good sometimes to feel, you know, angry or sad or whatever, but, the the point of what I saw with people who did it more on the positive, you know, health giving side was they would start there, but then they would realize, look, I can't stay here. This is not good for me to stay depressed or in, you know, denial or angry, et cetera. The problem might be that they don't naturally have the skills to say, well, what in the world do I do to go to another place? And so what, as I kind of deconstructed my experience with people over all those years, what I really looked at were what, what are the stumbling blocks we go through in getting out of that hole first and then getting uh, to say, what is it I have to deal with as, as a human in here so I can just move past this and, and keep stepping up. It's baby steps, literally. Um, and, and as we all know, 
if if you're a loved one of a patient with cancer, you have the same experience. It's just going to be different from the cancer patient because you have different memories and you have different hangups and all that. Yeah, well, that's that's fascinating because uh, you know I'm I'm a been a pastor for forty years and and uh, have been privileged, I'll say, to be with people when they've had bad diagnoses. And I've in my own family. My own father died of kidney cancer about three and a half years ago, and we got the diagnosis about 10 years ago, and remember how personally devastating that was, but you do choose how you uh, react to it. And then I've also noticed when I've conducted funerals that the families and people, you know, react differently as well. And there's, you know, healthy, life-giving, productive ways to do it and other ways to do it uh, as well. But I think there's some commonality here, and I'm interested in some of the common experiences you had of people who have succeeded in that, and particularly how when some folks uh, call upon some power greater than themselves, you know, some sort of a uh, life force, a uh, whether it's a spirituality or meditation or reading or uh, uh, some people throw themselves into study, you know, they try to study everything there is to do about the topic. Tell me about uh, people calling upon some power to give them strength greater than themselves, how that was a factor in recovery. Uh, yeah, I, I certainly would say in the, in the, in the grand scheme that that in one way or another fit into every story of people moving forward. Now in, in the book, uh, the way that I tried to write about that, because, because humans have such a broad uh, experience of, you know, a higher power or something other than themselves I didn't want to be, you know, too narrow in the way I described it, but I give examples where I've seen people who had a particular spiritual upbringing and background that they, that was, that was good. That resonated with that. And it actually, the realization that I can't stay here in this stuck, angry place or whatever they were at in the beginning kind of reignited a connection to that. And so they actually were, able to go and meet with a a counselor or a pastor or somebody related to their spiritual tradition. And it actually deepened that, uh, that connection that they had in, in a lot of ways. And that became, if you will, sort of the skeleton around which they built a lot of their recovery. Part of that connects to what we were talking about just a few minutes ago, which is you if you connect to something like that, something that's bigger than you, it's easier to step out of the role of being a victim and, and to realize that you, you know, you're not alone here. You can call on something other than you, something bigger than just your worries um, to help you move forward. So I definitely, I definitely have seen that be a, a core with people. I've seen some people where, as you said, some people intellectualize it a little bit more. They, They'll read everything about their, you know, type of cancer or about recovery or whatever they're reading. A lot of people, and there's a great deal of research in this area, a lot of people do either prayer practices or mindfulness practices, things, you know, in that nature, just to help recenter them. And again, you know, not feel like they're, it's them against everything. And so some people meditate, you know, there's, there's a, uh, a th- thousand expressions, but yeah, I think that that's a core with, with most people I've seen. But you've seen some commonality of those people who practice some form of a calling upon a, whether you call it God or spiritual life or meditation or study, 
they've called upon some aspect of some force greater than themselves in order to have some healing and some wholeness and to self-care. Self-healing is one of the things that you advocate. I know taking some charge of your own situation. So, and, and to, in my way of thinking, that's drawing on, that's a source of some power there. You know, you got in order to heal in order to have wholeness, uh, you can't, you know, you, your body is breaking down, your spirit is being attacked and so on and so forth. You have, in my mind, I'm just sharing with you, reflecting with you that you need, uh, you just can't do it on your own. You know, that's why people, that's why people go to the doctor, right? They go to the doctor because you can't, you know, if you're sick, you can't figure it out on your own. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, and it's powering to be able to step to that place where there, where you're, you're calling upon, you know, other information, whether it's say a doctor or a helper or, or a higher power, you're, you're really surrounding yourself with other positive things that can take you, you know, through it because yeah, we're not meant to figure everything out on our own. Paul, let's talk about people now for a second. Let's talk about relationships in this healing and wholeness process, this aspect of self-care. We've mentioned how it's hard for people to really have healing and wholeness with uh, do it on their own and calling upon a higher power. But the power that's right before us oftentimes is our spouse or family, our friends, our coworkers. Sometimes people put it out there in their network, you know, online and so on. These, these things they have sometimes develop a real rapport with their caregivers. Uh, my, I have a son who's a hospice worker, for instance, and he, even during relatively short amount of times, he develops real rapport with the people he cares for. But let's talk about that, how these friends and family and relationships, I call it the fuel of uh, overcoming adversity, but there can be some times when it can be uh, a hindrance as well. I'd just like to just talk a little bit about the power and the the function of health of relationships, loving relationships, particularly yeah. in healing and wholeness. Yeah. It's it, just, just like, you know, having others come in professionally or, or higher powers to call upon. We, we exist in community and um, whether that is a spouse or close friends or, or a network or all of the above rely on that group of people for, you know, their input, their energy, their lifting you up, et cetera. And one of the areas that we specifically talk about in the book is there are, there are better and worse relationships that we have. And some are just naturally healing and some can actually be toxic and and very negative. And when a person gets sick, that tends to accentuate those, you know, you can have people, um, and, and sometimes they're not trying to be this way, but you can have an extremely negatively oriented friend, loved one, family member. And when you get sick, it, it bothers them so much in here, reflecting the negativity on you, which is not a, not a healing place to be. The way I talk about it in the book and what I've seen countless times is you want to, as much as you can, gravitate towards whoever in your group, you know, they're having a hard time dealing with your diagnosis too. It's, it's a two-way street, but those who feed you, who, you know, who are giving, who engender a healthy attitude and lift you up when you're down or help you through places. And most people have those folks in their lives. And you actually do have to be a little careful with people who, whether it's intentional or not, are on the negative toxic side, because they literally will drag you down with them. 
it's it's so important. Others are are part of our world. That's one of the reasons I call it the fuel of uh, healing and wholeness. If you get bad fuel or if you get no fuel or so to speak, it's going to stall you. And I've seen it happen. And obviously you're sharing that you've seen it happen where those toxic relationships, this is where I, I know you talk a lot about empowerment in your work. And sometimes the empowerment piece has been making hard decisions, isn't it? About even those relationships and celebrating and lifting up the good ones and maybe, uh, you know, limiting the toxic ones. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's so critical because that fuel, as you say, is it really is what drives us or stalls us out. Most people, not everybody, but most people try to please those around them and they try and put other people first and you know all these things that many of us grew up hearing. When you have something life-threatening like cancer, it's hard to step into a role of saying, I have to protect myself first. And if that means limiting exposure to certain friends and family, you need to do that because, and that's not being selfish. That's actually being kind to yourself. I just want to share with you a brief story from my own experience at this point. I just reminded me that I just wanted, I just want to share it. I mentioned I was a pastor. One of the persons I was a pastor to was a judge in the county that I lived in, which meant, uh, you know, he was involved with local politics and he sent people to jail and all kinds of stuff. He developed his share of enemies is what I'm getting at. He got a diagnosis, one of those terrible diagnoses of liver cancer, and he literally was dead within eight weeks later. What I, I want to make with you about is this relationship. He was in the hospital for several weeks and he called to his bedside in the local hospital Literally over a hundred people who are in his life, good, who had good relationships and bad relationships. Some people he sent to jail, some people, his political foes and so on. And he had a moment. And I was one of those people he had a moment with where he had a moment by his bedside where he had a healing moment. He apologized to them. He made things right. In some cases, there was even financial stuff involved. Uh, he made it right with everybody. And what my point is, those relationships were all restored because he was very, very uh, intentional about healing those relationships and developing a good rapport in those relationships. And I, no one else has ever forgot that gift he gave to everyone else. And I think these positive relationships, uh, especially those are the gifts that we can give to others, whether we are uh, helping that person who has the cancer diagnosis, but in many times it's that person who has cancer who's given that gift to others. Have you seen that type of thing happen where a person who's sick is given the gift to others? Very definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the remarkable and uplifting stories that uh, that I've seen and reviewed in my mind before writing are actually People who, so you're in a clinic setting, sometimes there's things people do together, such as they're all getting IV treatments together or something in a big room. So people develop a lot of community in that, in that respect. And there would be definitely people with cancer, maybe the person with the worst cancer in the room, but they made everybody else feel better, feel more grounded, feel more hopeful. And in their life, they were that way. They were actually the sick person and quite ill. And they were just able to uplift those around them, you know, and bring them close. And, uh, and, and as, as you mentioned with, I mean, that's a pretty remarkable story with the judge, but also he had a very short amount of time. Well, he knew he had a short amount of time and he, but he did something about it. He could have just stayed in bed. And, and, but he did yeah, it's about. it's that being proactive and and there were definitely cases, especially with those people I was talking about that just naturally buoyed people up, where they actually did 
reach out to family or friends and just clear the slate, you know, make amends or, mm-hmm. or talk it through or whatever. That's also being empowered. You know, that's your, you're in charge of what's going on, regardless of your physical circumstances. You're, you're going to do the right thing. Yeah. It's an, there's that word again. You mentioned it several times. I think it's a theme of your book of empowerment of taking charge of your own health and your own situation. And I'd like for you to talk to our audience here for a few minutes about some of those specific steps. I'm talking about self-discipline. So talking about habits, practices, what are some things that people can do both in the, you know, in your physical health area, your mental health, your emotional health that people can do to say cancer, you will not beat me. I'm going to take charge of my life. I'm going to be empowered. I think that the first, the first step is realizing that you don't have to like anything about the diagnosis that you have or the diagnosis your loved one has. And you, you also need to be able to realize and let go of the fact that you start where you start, which is usually some negative emotions. The important part as you move forward, though, as you say, the discipline of it is, is waking up literally every day because you're going to wake up every day and still have cancer in this case and say, even if the only thing I do today is remember that I have a choice over how I feel and react to the situations I'm in. I may have no choice over how the cancer is going today or what medical treatment I get, or but I actually have a choice over how I process that, where how much power I give that, where it sits in my life. That is a very hard thing for most of us humans to do when we don't feel well, because our, you know, normally we kind of tie how we're feeling mentally with how our body is doing. And sometimes with cancer, that tie doesn't work very well. And so the biggest thing is, and, and this is very critical, and it happens with chronically ill people too, you may wake up most days A, you still have cancer, but B, you may not feel great. You may not feel your former self. Divorcing yourself from that physical feeling and saying, I still have a choice over how I am going to be as a patient with cancer today. That's the first, second, and third, and fourth, and last steps. Everything else then flows from that, which is really uh, working the muscles, whether they're spiritual muscles or mental, emotional, or thought pattern muscles, so that most of your day, you are actually in charge of those thoughts and empowered. And if you go to even, you know, there's paper uh, written even just a year ago now um, about empowerment with cancer. And it makes the point that when they look and they look back at a bunch of different studies around empowerment, the key to empowerment and better outcomes was not, did you have control over what your doctor did or, or uh, what hospital you went to, or, you know, all the logistics of your cancer life. The key was, did you feel that you had self-determination around that and you were in charge of your life, regardless of what circumstances came, those people needed less pain medicine, their quality of life was better, and usually their length of life was better as well. I think that because that is very much not a native human uh, human process to go through, you know, because most of the time people feel well. You got, as you mentioned, you got to work at it. You got to you got to exercise those muscles, and so that's why we have your book and your resource to help people to exercise that a little bit called Cancer, The Journey from Diagnosis to Empowerment. And I'd like to to conclude our 
conversation by being very specific and very practical and pragmatic to the person or persons out there who may be dealing with just this. You know, I'm sure, tell us a story about someone had some transition or turnaround in their life that may be a good example to others. You mentioned a couple already. Uh, there's, there's a number of stories, but there's a pic- particular woman who was uh, about 63 years old, and um, I won't use her name, but she had she was part of the research study. So I got to know her really well because I saw her a number of times a week and knew her family and everything. She started out not not negative. She, of course, was not happy she had metastatic cancer, but she was more bewildered. It was just, you know, gee, you know, where was it? past choices I made that brought me here? Was it other health habits or how did I get here? So she was just stuck in this kind of cycle of self-blame and other, you know, other negative things. And we would talk uh, about these things and in her mind, and this, this is not a quick thing with most people, but as we would talk about it and as she processed us through things, once she was able to essentially step away from the idea that she had to figure out the the question of why why did this happen to me because we often never know the answer to that it was amazing to watch her become free from that even her cancer didn't change she was still just as sick and everything else but in her case that was the anchor to the past and the negativity was she had to figure out why and she realized she never would once she stopped doing that, she actually became so much more bright, so much more generally positive, and she was a positive influence on people all around her. In her particular case, it was figuring out that she was trying to hold on to a question she could never answer. And she, when she got free of that, she was actually free to move forward. And and essentially with almost everybody, and I talk about different permutations of it in the book, there's something, it may not be that, it may not be self-blame or whatever, but there's something holding them from moving forward. And and divorcing from that is uh, is life-changing. What's that freedom that you mentioned, that release, that acceptance, even when someone, you know, we all are going to pass away, we're all going to yep. die eventually. So you have to come to that point of acceptance. And those people who have the freedom of that, whether they recover or whether they don't, are the ones who have a much uh, joyous life and even their impact on others is, is a good thing. So good stuff. Fascinating stuff. Uh, Dr. Paul Anderson, if people want to be in contact with you or learn more about how to get your book or get on your website or connect up with you and the things that you offer, how can, uh, how can folks do that? So the, uh, the book uh, easiest way is uh, any online uh, bookseller, Amazon, for example, or Barnes and Noble, Powell's, anybody. Uh, and right now it's available either as a regular paper version book or a Kindle. And so any, any online, if they just uh, uh, start to search cancer, the journey from it, it'll be the first one that comes up usually. Uh, so the book is easy that way. In in modern times, what I've found as far as other ways to contact, social media seems to be more and more what people do. So the two outlets I have uh, there that have links to a lot of newsletters and other content on Instagram, it's uh, simply DRA Online, Dr. A Online. And on uh, Facebook, it's DR period A Online. Uh, and on both of those, there's slightly different content, but there's links to as I say, a lot of free uh, newsletters and, and resources and other any other way you need to get a hold of me. Put links to all those connections 
on our website, uh, drbradmiller.com. Great to be with you today, sir. The name of the book by Dr. Paul S. Anderson is Cancer, The Journey from Diagnosis to Empowerment. Our guest on Beyond Adversity, Dr. Paul Anderson. Thank you, Paul. I learned so much, didn't you? I hope that you did. I hope that you learned about that this whole thing about cancer. Yes, it is a debilitating, devastating disease, and we don't have to be happy about it. We don't have to be thrilled about it. But we can choose how we face a difficult situation. That's what adversity is all about, isn't it? We have difficult circumstances that happen, and we choose how we face them. And in this, uh, in our conversation today, Dr. Anderson was really able to help us uh, talk about a process. And he lays it out in his book, uh, Cancer, the Journey, the Journey from Diagnosis to Empowerment, and uh, how that choice we make makes all the difference. It's really about a choice between living disabled by your adversity, being stuck by it, or choosing to be enabled, or as he likes to say, empowered. And that's the promise I make to you here on the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. It is to try to give you the best information I can to help you to overcome adverse life conditions in your life. Things like, you know, things like uh, uh, cancer, disease, or maybe going through a divorce, or maybe having terrible debt or a business problem, or perhaps the death of the family. Maybe you've had somebody die in your your family with cancer. Certainly during the, the COVID crisis, we've lost a lot of folks. Things like depression. These happen to all of us, don't they? And we can help you to navigate those things. Go over to drbradmiller.com. That's our website. Lots of back episodes of Beyond Adversity and uh, also of uh, the connections we have to our uh, our expert today, Dr. Paul S. Anderson. The sh- in the show notes will be there as well. We're here to be helpful. Here to be helpful. Here's what I want you to know. It is about the choices that we make to live as an empowered or enabled person. I've seen both. I've seen both in my life uh, where people have been just completely devastated and given up on life when bad things happen. And I've seen other people, even to the very end of their life, be an encourager, be one who is not disabled, but enabled even through the whole process of great adversity in their life. And you know what kind of person you want to be. And you know what kind of person you want to be around. So the choice is to do that. And so my promise to you is help give you the tools we can to help you to do just that, to be empowered here. So it's about making a promise. Make a promise to yourself, my friend, to be empowered, not disabled, to be enabled, to be empowered. And a promise that you can make is to do just that. So I encourage you to make a promise and to keep a promise. Because there is power in a promise kept. Until next time, friends, this is Dr. Brad Miller encouraging you you to always do all the good that you can.